Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there. I'm Lauren McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa, and you're listening to The Females Podcast, Summer School Edition. This season, we're heading back to school career school, that is, with experts here to teach us the ins and outs of specific topics. Today's teachers are Carly Zakin and Danielle Weisberg, co-founders of The Skim and authors of How to Skim Your Life. Carly and Danielle started the wildly popular newsletter, The Skim, back in 2012, while they were just two roommates working from their couch. Fast forward seven years and The Skim is anything but a small idea with a small team. Carly and Danielle now manage a team of over 100 people, and they're often transparent about their management challenges and learnings, so who better to share some advice on the topic than Carly and Danielle? And because we're here for that real talk advice, be sure to stick around till after Carly and Danielle's teachable moment, because we'll be answering your listener questions, starting with, how can you build your career connections when you work remotely 100% of the time? You can submit your career questions to us to answer on future episodes by leaving us your voicemail at 844-FEMALES. And now, this is the Females Summer School Edition. Well, hi, Carly and Danielle. Thanks for joining us today, and congrats on your new book. Thank you so much. We're so excited about How to Skim Your Life, and thank you so much for having us on today. Yeah, I love that this is the the very first book from The Skim. I mean, you guys have so many other things that you've already created content-wise, especially. Um, So before we jump into some work advice, I'd just love to ask why you wanted to write an actual book, How to Skim Your Life. It's Carly. Thank you so much for having us. You know, I think our community of millennial women have been asking us questions that extend beyond the news for years. And when we think about, you know, what are all of the kind of unsexy categories, if you will, about being an adult, where I think we all kind of have this moment where we're like, did everyone take a class? Um, how to do this. And I missed that day. And how could we make it easier for our audience? And so what we thought about were the categories that aren't taught necessarily in school, and then you are sort of left to either figure out on your own, or we all tend to kind of lean on someone or a resource in our life, or sometimes even opt out of and um, wanted to make a resource guide to, to get rid of that feeling and to really empower this audience, which you all can check out at the skim.com slash book. Yeah, I, I completely resonate with that feeling. 
feeling. I was just telling someone the other day, I was like, I've never once needed algebra. I have really needed a tax, you know, like lessons on taxes. I know. I think we've all felt like that. Like, oh, it probably would have been better to learn about like mortgages. Right. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So that's what we're trying to do. But like anything we do, making sure that it's digestible, making sure it's conversational, it really fits into what our audience of women needs to know as they go through life stages. Right. So they could buy your book and then really just hold on to it as they're going through each of those stages. It's a reference book. Cool. Well, that makes total sense, especially coming from the skim, which I love that you guys make everything digestible and including your podcast, which is called Skimmed from the Couch. And you guys are really very honest about just all the leadership, maybe mistakes or lessons that you guys have learned, especially managing your your team. And I know that you often will interview when you're when you're interviewing people from your podcast, you'll ask them their tips and advice too. So I would love to use this as an opportunity since you guys have really been able to not only experience it firsthand, but talk to a lot of people is what are some of your biggest learning moments about management? And if you could describe your leadership style in just a few words, also, what would that be? Sure. So it's Danielle, as you said, as first time entrepreneurs who started their company at 25 in tech and media, we've definitely faced a a ton of challenges. One thing we're very honest about is that neither one of us had a background in business. So we had to learn kind of trial by fire about how you raise money, how you build a board, how do you hire, how do you manage? So we are first-time entrepreneurs and also first-time managers. So in our lives before the skim, we weren't hiring people. We weren't doing one-on-ones, maybe with interns, but that was about it. So we have had to learn everything as we go. I think that the biggest thing that we've learned is if you're an entrepreneur or you're in any point of your career and you want to grow, you're going to need people who have been through it before. So building a network of mentors and advisors has been a huge, huge um, support system for us. So we can ask them how they handle the same management system, management issue, when they've had to onboard someone, how do they do it? When you have to offboard someone, what is the right way to do it? One challenge has been firing ourselves from some of the day-to-day. We got really great advice from one of our advisors who said that his job is to fire himself, that you should bring in great people, train them, and then no longer have that day-to-day as part of your role. That sounds great, but I think in typical kind of type A fashion, it takes a while to do and you have to coach yourself to do that. And if you do that correctly, then you're empowering others. And that is what we have tried to do. So I think our leadership style in in a few words has definitely been to try to be relatable, accessible, and, and also to try to be empowering. And I think, you know, like any managers in a startup, those are our goals. So every day we are working towards them as aspirational ways that we can really solidify our management staff. Mm -hmm. I'm curious too, how many people work at the skim now? We're about 100 employees. Oh, wow. So you guys must have the org chart set up where you have your executive team and then you have layers underneath that. So not everybody, I'm sure not all 100 people are reporting to you guys. I just laugh. Uh, yeah, we're both laughing because that makes it sound like that was really easy to do. And that we're not, one, it's not. And two, we, we don't have that done yet. I think we <laughs> don't have too many direct reports. Yeah. Our org is still being figured out. And I think that's just a really good example of 
kind of the growing pains you go through as an early stage company, which is constantly figuring out org and trying, always looking for new ways to both organize yourself and your time. And then obviously the company organization as a whole. Right. Well, I'm sure also you guys are a growing startup. Like the minute you make that org chart, it's going to change. <laughs> so yeah. maybe it's been very strategic of you to, to not have that yet. Thank you for a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's discuss the difference between an average manager and a great manager. And especially you guys obviously have had managers in the past as well. So how would you describe the difference between an average manager and a great manager? Well, I think first of all, we're being self-reflective. I think we have at times really been average managers and, and, you know, we've had to learn how to become managers through this. As Danielle mentioned, I think average managers are not setting clear expectations and are not creating guidelines of kind of what the objective is around a task or an initiative and how that relates to the bigger picture. And then how someone will be held accountable to that. What does success look like? What are the KPIs of success? And so really just being upfront about everything as much as you can. And transparency, I think, is the key between an average manager and a great manager. The other thing I've been thinking about a lot is sometimes when I see average managers, the way that they're approaching management is much closer to mentorship, where it's like being there for someone in the big picture, but not necessarily coaching them through the day to day or showing them, you know, what are things they could be doing better. Right, right. I think that's a a great example of you know, like, I think everyone can visualize that example too. Is like, does my manager kind of work with me only for the big stuff or are they there for the day to day, which is just like a nice filtering system for people to think about what they have or what type of manager they are. And before we get into some specific questions, I did ask some of the managers in my life what their top questions would be for you. So before we get into those, I'm curious in your book, what other career topics do you guys cover? Well, one of the ones that we cover is something that has meant a lot to us and was definitely a a learning curve for the two of us personally, which is how do you negotiate for yourself and how, you know, how, whether you're trying to get a raise or you're trying to apply for, you know, a new job, but really how to, how to navigate that. And that was something that we had no experience in before. We made a ton of mistakes and something that we really hope that we are managing our employees to learn how to do that as well. And also obviously our audience as a whole. Well, that's actually a great segue into one of the questions I got, which is what do you do when an employee asks for a raise, but they haven't really gone above and beyond, you know, they've, they've showed up for the last year and they've been good, but they haven't been great. I mean, do you give, you know, the question was, do you give them the raise because they've been there or how do you give the feedback? Like, well, you're going to, maybe you don't deserve the raise, you know? So I, I actually think that's a great point since you guys were talking about negotiation. So I think this was actually a really great question and one that we have grown into as managers. I think that if someone has not grown above and beyond the expectations of the role, then no, they shouldn't get a raise. But talking through this a little bit more, I think there's a whole section in the book where we talk about negotiating for yourself. And the one piece of advice that we have is, you know, ask for what you want. The worst thing that someone can say is no. I think that if you're the employee coming into a situation where you're asking your manager for a raise, you should be prepared and you should choose the moment wisely and then ask for what you want. The caveats there are that coming prepared means that you've done your homework around the comps in your role and you have looked at it in terms of other um, industries. 
So not just looking, if you work in media, you aren't looking at what someone in finance is getting paid in the same role because it's a different industry. You also should be looking at it in terms of the similar size companies. And that's a mistake that we see people make all the time. You know, we are still a startup. And sometimes when people are looking to negotiate, they're comping it against like huge, huge agencies where it just doesn't make sense. And you should know that about the company that you're working at. The second thing I would say is that, you know, as the manager in this situation, I I would turn the tables around a little bit and ask them why they believe a raise is due to them right now. You know, put it on them. What new responsibilities have they taken on? What are the expectations of this role right now as they see it? And what are they doing that goes above and beyond it? How have they shown growth? How have they been operating at a level higher on the projects they're assigned to? I think that if they're not quite sure, that's an opportunity to reiterate what the expectations are for the current role they're in and make sure that they are hitting those. And if they just haven't made a strong enough case, I would say that you should take that as an opportunity to lay out in the next six months, here's what we would want to see to be able to identify whether or not a raise would be appropriate. And then say, you know, you're in their corner, you want them to get there. And this is what we need to see in order to even think about what a race would look like. I don't think it's just no, it's explaining why. And I think it's an opportunity to turn a conversation like that into a much clearer professional development discussion. Absolutely. And I think it's important for people to understand, especially from your point of view as a manager, is like, it's not about racking up more and more responsibilities. It's also being able to articulate the accomplishments and like the results of your work, right? Because you can work really hard and be kind of turning your wheels. So I think that's also great because people sometimes are like, but look at all the things I'm doing. You're like, well, that's great, but here are the things that really matter. So maybe you should actually be spending less time on those things. So I, I, I think we're there's a lot of negotiation advice out there, and sometimes my concern is that people think like, well, if you go and negotiate, you'll always get something. And it's like, well, you also have to be okay with being told no, which I think is like the piece of advice or the side of that that people – don't always prepare for. So I think it's great that you're saying, well, if they say no, here's make sure you're getting clarity around what it is and and the steps that you would need to take then. Okay. Second question from my friend of managers is what about a gossipy or clicky group at work? She said that she manages a team of 12 and you can see the clear lines of alliances. So I think this is, you know, a question that represents something that we all have either seen at work, experienced at work. And I think it's okay to accept that some people will just naturally gravitate towards one another. And we can accept that. That's okay. But at the skin, we really try to create an environment where we make it very clear we are building something together as a team. We are very committed to our values. We've actually reintroduced new values to our team. And one of the team values is skim together. And what that means is we rise and fall as a team together. And we have, we are aligned on what success looks like. We are working towards the same things. And one of the key things there is that you assume the best of intentions um, of, of the other people in the room. And I think that's so key to make sure that you instill within, within your team. One of the ways that we try to instill that is we start and end every week with a team meeting. So on Monday, we have a team meeting where we spotlight what different teams are working on. We share, you know, important company-wide announcements. And then on Fridays, 
we've kept up a tradition now for almost seven years, I guess, at this point, where we share highs and lows of the week as a team. And I think just those kind of bookends sort of force everyone to kind of leave their leave their desk to unite as, as a company wide team and and to make sh- and to kind of realign around what we're all working towards. Right. Absolutely. I mean, for being first time, quote unquote, first time managers, I think you guys intuitively got it because I do think that's really important to people and bringing them physically together is is a great way of doing that. I I know like we have a meeting day at Career Contessa and I think it's just a really nice like stop what you're doing and connect with the team. And I think that's really important. I've also heard some managers will create kind of like a value system just within their team. I don't know if you guys have teams that do that, but I think it's really amazing that you guys have set values for your company. Uh, team leads are doing that and more around like different team tenets of things that that they hold true and make sure are kind of a, a hard and fast rule or filter, if you will, for projects that they work on or um, how they kind of assess their work. And I, I love that our teams are starting to do that. And what's great about it is that they're all kind of emanating from our company-wide values so that they ladder up again to the big vision. Yeah, that's great. Okay, last leadership question was, how do you work with your team to keep them engaged and growing on the job? I feel like I'm constantly trying to keep people on my team happy and it's exhausting. And I think this comes from uh, the viewpoint of, you know, people can be a little impatient to be like, what's next, what's next, what's next? And as a manager, you're like, uh, uh, like I, I don't know, I haven't, I haven't figured out what's next for you yet because it's only been three months or something like that. So I love this question because we definitely feel like it's exhausting at times. And I totally understand where this person is coming from. I think that the key thing here would be, how do you keep your team engaged instead of how do you keep them happy? Because I think just in life, like you can't be responsible for someone else's happiness. So your role as a manager is to make sure that they understand what the company is about to make sure that they understand what their role is in the company and also to understand the expectations of their role today and how it could grow down the road. And I think doing those things empowers someone to take responsibility, empowers someone to really feel like they want to show up every day and make an impact. So I think if you think about it that way, it's a stronger perspective. You know, how do you keep them happy? I think if you do those things, then at least when it comes to work, they are more likely to feel happy every day. But I do think, you know, managing a bunch of people who are in the earlier stages of their career, they don't necessarily know when the appropriate time is to start talking about the next step. They don't necessarily know when the appropriate time is to ask for a raise or how to do that. So I think it's important that you you really determine that your role as a manager is to empower them instead of trying to do things to make it happy, make them happy. And I think a lot of the times what we see is um, managers or you know executives tend to do this by bringing in perks. And that to me brings in temporary happiness. It doesn't necessarily bring in long-term empowerment and fulfillment. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I always say this too. I'm like, there's not enough ping pong tables that will <laughs> make a person feel like their career is like moving forward. You know, the only thing that does that is projects and feedback. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we wish it was that simple. And I'm just curious, do you guys have an annual review process or do you guys do something like every month? Like, how are you guys giving feedback to your team on a regular basis? 
um, we do it in a few ways. So we have weekly one-on-ones with our direct reports and all managers do that with their direct reports. We do annual review cycles and then a mid-year check-in. Amazing. Well, I, I think it also really helps that your team is being managed by like probably a similar generation to them like you guys understand like that's how you would want to be treated so you're also giving that back so there's definitely a a plus to having manner because sometimes I think people worry that oh I'm being managed or I'm managing people who are older than me but there's actually a huge plus and and you know advantage to, to that and you know we have you know a diverse office and not everyone's the same age or age range and you know we definitely manage people that are older than us I think our management philosophy is like, you work hard for us, we're going to work hard for you. And that applies to not just how we work together every day, but also, you know, if you're, if our relationship hopefully continues, if they're not at the skim anymore and how we can be supportive to them and, you know, continue being a part of each other's lives as you know mentors or, or maybe they come back. So I think that's also why our management philosophy um, is so important to us. Yeah. I love that. Well, that's a perfect way for us to wrap up. Thank you, Carly and Danielle. And uh, please let everyone know where they can find your book. And I know you guys are going to be on tour too. So where, where can they find more information? I'm very excited to answer this question. <laughs> your Life is available on June 11th and you can order it on the skim.com slash book. We have links to lots of places you can get it. We love supporting amazing independent bookstores and also have links out to Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Target, Walmart, all the places you can buy books. So also, you. we are so excited to hit the road. We'll be at big cities across the country. And if you buy a ticket to our event, the book is also included. So check out information on the tour at theskim.com slash book. Amazing. Thank you so much, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Hey there, let's take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor, Third Love. If there's anything we can all get behind, it's a fun quiz. If taking a quiz ensures that all of my bras fit better than ever, well, then that's a clear win-win. Third Love developed a Fit Finder quiz with over 12 million women who have taken it to date. Unlike wearing a bra that digs in in all the wrong places, Taking the Third Love Fit Finder quiz is actually really fun, and it's super simple. From there, Third Love helps you identify your real breast size and shape, and Third Love will help you find styles that fit your body. Say goodbye to straps that slip off your shoulders, to labels that scratch your back, and to expensive bras that just don't fit. Start saying hello to the most comfortable bra you will ever own. Seriously, I purchased the classic t-shirt bra after taking the quiz, and I'm never looking back. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com females to find your perfect fit. All right, now let's get back to the show. All right, it's that time in the show when we hear real voicemails left by you, our dear listeners, and do our best to give you some real talk career advice. And to help, I've invited Kayleen Cajas, our content director at Career Contessa, to also give her two cents. Hi, Kayleen. Hello, everybody. All right, well, today's voicemail is all about working remotely full-time and struggling to build connections in real life. Let's listen in. Hi there, this is Christy, and I'm in marketing. I work for a laboratory manufacturer, very corporate, huge company. I want to thank you all for putting together this podcast. I think it's a fantastic idea. My question, uh, and maybe specifically a little bit of background information, I love what I do. I love my job. I think I am probably a rare percentage that actually 
really enjoys what she's doing. Uh, what leads me to my question, my challenge, is that I work 100% from home. I've been in this role for about a year, and I work remotely. Half the team works remotely. I got this job from one of my former connections, you know, and I think I've really done a great job of leveraging my in-person connections from my, when I've worked inside a company in corporate. What I'm having trouble with is how in this environment where many of us are working remotely and many of us work with those who work remotely, how do we build those connections? How do we continue to build those awesome relationships from even mentoring to future career advancement? I think that's just something that I'm finding not only to be important from a career standpoint, but also I think I find it to be very isolating and lonely when you're just working 100% remote. So I'm doing some things um, like I'm involved in local networking opportunities, but I'm talking about specifically from a within my company and being able to leverage those connections and build my brand within my company. So thanks for the advice and the input. Look forward to hearing back from y'all. Thank you. All right. Well, hi, Christy. Thank you so much for calling in. I I mean, Kayleen, you were a remote worker, so you know exactly what this feels like. I, I was. And I think, Christy, I think it's great, first of all, that you're recognizing this like so early in the game. For me, it took probably about two years before I was like, oh, I'm lonely in my living room right now. And I haven't left my house at all. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, the first step, you're already there. I, I worked uh, remotely for well over three years. And the good news is, and we'll get more into this, is the Internet is going to be your savior I and mean, connecting you with people both close and both far away. Mm-hmm. So, Was your company, was the whole company remote or just you? I, I did both. So in one job, uh, the entire company went remotely. So when your entire company is remote, and Christy, it sounds like about half of yours is, the managers or, you know, the upper management probably put in some work to make sure that you can all connect and that, that everyone's connecting on a weekly basis, whether through all hands or one-on-ones. So that's really helpful to have um, at a high level. And then, but when you are like the only person remote, it's, you have to do a lot more Yeah, work I think that's harder. To stay involved. Yeah. And I did, at one company, I was the lone remote person. So, um my best advice for that, and this is something I proactively did, was to get your face in those offices so people know. So you're not just, you know, a name and a number, too. And like you would important. fly to wherever everybody oh. worked and stuff. Yeah. So we had offices in New York and in the Bay Area. So I would make myself just kind of a nuisance, actually. Yeah. Like <laughs> once a month or? I would go like once every six weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, that's actually a good idea. If like you are building connections with people via email or online, showing up somewhat consistently can yeah. help a lot. You can actually, if, if you do it right, I mean, if you're able to get, obviously, we don't have unlimited budgets to be flying everywhere, so the, comp- the company would probably have to help. But you can become the person that is flying everywhere, and you become kind of the well-known, you know, remote person because from office to office, they might not know each other. But yeah, you know, just making a nuisance of yourself, basically. <laughs> <laughs> just best. showing up on yeah. their doorstep. Well, I think that's good advice. I do, I do think showing up in person means a lot. I also think for Christy, who, I mean, again, like I think we should – really say this is amazing that you're thinking about this and wanting to be proactive because I also think that 
I know when I started working remote, the first thing that happens is like you do fall into the routine of like, I don't have to leave my my house or maybe today because I don't have to, I'm just I what I would have gone to that networking event, but now I'm not going to. I, or I would have set up a a lunch with a colleague, but you know, I can't or I just won't. So the first thing I would say is like making sure that you whatever plan you come up with, whether that's to go to the company's headquarters, you know, every six weeks or to set up a consistent like video call with somebody that you work with and just kind of instead of having that networking lunch, you have something consistent. Like whatever you decide to do, just be consistent with it. Because one of the things I loved that I used to do a lot with people in other departments, and again, this was in person, is I would, you know, invite someone to lunch or you run into them in the in the kitchen and you, and you sit and you chit chat and you just have to be more purposeful about this. So I might make a plan to like once a week, try to set up a, you know, 30 minute get to know you or catch up video call so you guys are at least looking at each other with another person. I mean, I know it, it takes a little bit more planning than just running into the person in the kitchen, but if you want to network with people at your company, which I think is really smart, you just that's that's a great thing to do is be upfront about the fact that you want to do that. Sometimes it's also um, for me it was a major attitude adjustment where I'm a person who I would go to work and then as sort of an introvert when I come home you're sort of drained and it took me a little while to learn like I'm I'm not even I'm not drained at all because I'm not having any FaceTime so it is kind of just being more proactive about going out and looking for something that you might have uh, avoided in yeah. the past. <laughs> I also think if you start doing that, since half your company is remote, if you start setting up these, you know, every Friday I have a different 30-minute call with somebody and, you know, you try your best to, you know, whatever the cadence you pick to be in person, even if it's just for one or two days somewhere – People will take note of that, and that might be able to become a regular thing. And also, as Kayleen said, if you can't, you know, but obviously we don't have unlimited budgets to fly around everywhere. And what if your team is in, like, another country or something like that? Like, talk to your manager about that because, you know, that might be something they're actually more willing to do than people think. Just because they don't offer it doesn't mean they wouldn't consider it. And then if you if you really don't fancy the face-to-face networking. Like I said, the internet is a saving grace, especially, I know because I worked in marketing, the marketing professionals are so active on either LinkedIn or Twitter I found is a great place. I mean, you, I have like marketing buddies that I have never laid eyes on. But, yeah. um, but you know each other from yeah. the internet. Yeah. 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 So that's a great way to make connections. And, and, and then again, if, you're, if you ever find yourself in the city where that person is, you guys can meet up. If uh, he or she is in your city, you can make plans to meet up and, you know, just kind of swap war stories. and Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think the last tip, and this isn't necessarily networking within your company, but just when you're remote and you're like trying to make sure that you're keeping your network active in general is if there's a co-work space around you that you can join and show up, you know, once a week to or maybe, as you said, you're you're already part of some local organizations. Like all of that is really fantastic, and you should pat yourself on the back for doing that because so many people work from home and they don't do any of that stuff, you know. And and there, you know, pros and cons to all of this, but like that will add up. I think it it really serves you to keep an open dialogue with people, um, whether it's through the internet or face to face or or showing up, even if it's talking to a barista in the morning yeah. just to order your coffee. It is important. <laughs> 
yeah. to speak to people. I have a friend who works from home and she told me the other day, she's like, I think I've started to develop like a social anxiety because <laughs> I never talk to people anymore. And we were joking about that. I was like, maybe you just need to get up and go to coffee every day. And she was like, yeah. Obviously, I need to start somewhere. Um, but anyway, so, well, Christy, I hope these tips have helped. You know, stay in touch with us. Let us know if you start setting up those one-on-ones with people in your company because I think I think everybody will appreciate that. So really good question. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you want to leave us a voicemail, we'd absolutely love that. Just call 844-FEMALES. Again, 844-FEMALES. That's 844-336-2457 if you want the cheat sheet. Um, We'll be back next Tuesday with Leslie McDaniel to talk about the Myers-Briggs personality assessments. But until then, you can follow us on at Career Contessa on Instagram. Share this episode with your work wives and Instagram community with hashtag the females podcast and listen to this sneak peek of next week's episode. I would love to have a conversation with them if they have a vision for their future and they feel as if they're holding themselves back. And that vision could be a new career or starting their own business, but some big picture idea of what they would like in their future. And I would love to come alongside them and help them to make that a reality. 